Hey everyone, welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. And I am Andy Wood. Uh, firstly, thanks guys, because we uh, tweeted at Bose for headphones and you guys signal boosted it. And we are currently about to receive, we don't have them yet, but they are. This is, yeah, it's kind of a tease. but This, this is a power we might abuse. <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't know you could just do that, but it worked. So thank you all the signal boosters and thank you Bose for sending us what I presume to be very good headphones. We will be talking more about them when they actually arrive and they're in our hands and on our heads, but... Uh, we will give you our honest opinion. I've got a strong suspicion it's going to be a good one. I suspect so, too. So let's start thinking about what other things we need. We, um, I guess we don't really have an official motorbike. That's true. There isn't a podcast motorbike. We don't have um, hoverboards yet. Um, no, there's, there's so many things we're lacking. Hey, I want to introduce our guest because he... Uh, we've never been in this city together, but we spent a very large amount of time in different cities together. My old housemate and friend and very great comedian is Mr. <laughs> Phil Nichol. I, thank you very much, Matt. I didn't know where I, I was I going thought, with that last sentence. I, I thought was you were like, going to say a fairly good comedian. He's, a, very, he's, he's a fair, a, but it turned into very great. Competent. You kind of pulled out. A competent. I know how to stand. Yeah. So I'm already, I've got that bit down. You know, which end of the mic a sound goes into. He's actually, I'm not, I'm not just saying this because he's here, but well, he's it. one of the best standers in the business. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about his standing for yeah, yeah. coast yeah, to yeah. coast. A lot of people come and stand around me just to get to rub off, rub off on them. I stand on Dude. trains, on tube cars. People just stand all. So it's like yeah. both both feet, both yeah. feet, on both the feet. Yeah, man. Sometimes I'm waiting for a bus. Suddenly, people just come stand around me. I just that kind of guy. But you, we're but we're seated now. I know it's just, like if we're not using you for your, <laughs> we're, we're underutilizing your main skill right here. Well, you know, but we can we can talk about it if you want to workshop it. I'd love to see just like Maybe. how how you because like, there are different stance. I just saw this thing, uh, there, some article about not an article like a video about um, how to disguise yourself. It was like not that good. I, basically, you got to put on a disguise. But they're like you could also stand differently because I guess European men stand with their weight equally on both feet and. American oh, sure. men stand in like a contrapposto kind of stance with like your weight on one foot and another foot just balancing you. you yeah, know? yeah, it's because you right. have gun on one side. Yeah, that's yeah. the it's one like way you done on that gun, side. Gun, yeah. Gunslingers. We, we learned, well, this is true. I, I, uh, I, I went to, I trained, I trained as an actor. Yeah, yeah, eat that. And, uh, and uh, but we learned the different stances. So uh, Jacobean uh, people stood differently to Elizabethan because there was a- How did they stand? Well, there's like a, in uh, in ballet poses. One would be, uh, do you know much about ballet pose? Fifth, fifth position and third position. So, so I'm trying so, to remember. My sister, all of my sisters did ballet. I think a bit, but my the sister who's closest to me in age and yeah. my mum as well both love ballet. So I right. I do vaguely remember which like. I think first position is with your your heels touching, but your feet kind of splayed. That's right. Yeah, and then you and then the, the positions go out. So first position is your heel to heel. Third position, I believe, I could be corrected, is the uh, arch, your heel towards the arch. That's right. Uh, fifth position is at the toe. I think, or and then and then and then Elizabethans used to stand with. Uh, oh, right. So I've got that. So and fifth position with is with your toe. That's right. So fourth position is your foot out. So Elizabethans would stand in fourth position with your foot. This looks with, so uncomfortable. With some, with some area. No, no. And you know what they were doing? Those they were actually showing their shoes off because if they oh, had no okay. shoes, so they had they they give themselves. So those a, sort of pictures that people, those sort of Elizabethan portraits or yeah. drawings where people yeah. look like they're, where it looks like it's just a bad artist who's yeah. drawn them in a kind of prancing position because yeah. that's how the. 
That's actually how they were standing. That's actually how they stood, yeah. <laughs> and that was them, that was them in, in repose. And, that, and, so, and so Jacobians would actually pull, pull the foot in because I think they thought it was a bit too ostentatious to put your foot out. So the, the Jacobians would pull, put their foot in either in the fifth position, which is much more uncomfortable because your feet are almost like splayed, or <laughs> in the third position, which is how most people stand. By the way, I do want to acknowledge that what started off as a really dumb riff about how you're an expert in standing yeah, actually, a lot of us has standing. actually segued <laughs> Well, actually, what I do now is I could I just stand more in a, in a, a, a Baywatch sort of stance where I, I hold one knee up so you get a nice line of my calf. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so you keep one tippy toe. So if I stand, you stand up, with, you lean, put the weight on your left foot, and then, and then lean, lean your right foot in over it so that you get that nice Baywatch, yeah, that yeah. nice Baywatch model Papa look. knee, yeah. Yeah, that's how I Do you I do the, the chicken wing? I know there's some kind of like, it's like smizing. It's one of these hot tips yeah, from like yeah. a model. You stick out the elbow to do something. I don't know what that's supposed oh, it to gives do. You, but... It gives you a silhouette. Okay. It gives you the silhouette. So when you're when the photo's taken, it gives you sort of uh, make it makes you look your your waist look thinner because it pulls your chest, your top of your chest. Oh, out. that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. This is really amazing. <laughs> we actually got into yeah. the nitty gritty um, of standing. Oh no, that's not even the nitty gritty. <laughs> Comedian. This is general standing. <laughs> this is standing you, guys, you don't know. You guys yeah. don't know standing. Sean White, uh, comedian rather than snowboarder, the other night was saying was telling me that. The higher you hold your elbows up, the more you think of yourself. Oh, really? The, the higher, the more self-regard you have. <laughs> That's hilarious. That makes sense, yeah. Man, professional wrestlers must love themselves. They're yeah. Like, going, yeah. They do. It's all, that's, you know, that's the character, isn't it? They're... Maybe that's why the Germans invented the bird dance. I love myself. And then they just got carried away. Let's invade France. Imagine them coming at you, the whole, the Luftwaffe. Yeah. People don't talk about the risks of that dance, but it really does give people too high a self regard. They really do. That's why you have to slap your knee at the end of it to bring yourself back down. When they started doing the chicken dance, I said nothing because I was not a chicken. Uh, First, they came for your wings. uh, (laughs) Um, So that's standing and dance out of the way. (laughs) What else you guys got? I'm trying to think of what obscure things I've learned recently. Oh, I've got a couple of really. Oh, what was what was the one the other day? Someone told me some really obscure fact. It sounds so. Oh, oh, it'll come back to me. It'll come back to me. Someone told me something so ridiculous. Like, that can't be true. And then you Google it and say, no, oh, it is. But uh, I remember. It's, I, but that, just, that was a bad lead, wasn't it? It's like, hey, listen to this, and though there's nothing. I just Googled because uh, some, I saw somebody post. They wanted to see the seven wonders of the world. I'm like, wait, aren't most of them gone? And I Google it. It's like, sure enough, yeah, six of the seven are unvisitable. Yeah, it's only the pyramids that are left. Yeah, and there's like modern ones they've oh, tried to like, yeah, get the, going. The, like the, the modern garden, seven no, the, wonders. No, the, like, the gardens of uh, Babylon nope. are there, but they got bo- they got bombed out. There is some of it there because I remember during oh, really? the fall of sure? Iraq, during the fall of Iraq, there was that was they were trying to protect it, and. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. But there are eight m- modern wonders of the world. Well, there's there are a couple being... of different things that people have tried to get going with different um, commissions. Like there's yeah. one called New Seven Wonders where it's all one word, and they voted on that. <laughs> that sounds like a, a scam. Yeah, and one. like you know, it's all this stuff is just a way to get Machu Picchu onto some list, which is fine. But also, this has Christ the Redeemer, but it doesn't have like Angkor Wat. Like fuck you, fuck you, Seven yeah, Wonders. Sure, who, yeah, Christ the Redeemer is made in, like 1929. It's not that great. Yeah, uh, the Seven Wonders, according but, to Wikipedia. But it's, but it, what it's, it's um, you know, it's when you get like a World Heritage site. That's the that's the place. That's the stuff. That's like the modern version of um, yeah, Ni- Niagara Falls. So here's, oh wait, is Niagara Falls time? one of the Seven Wonders of the World? No, no, they're all man-made. None of them are natural. Oh, I see. 
but I had never heard of, uh, there's one called the Mausoleum at Halicarnassus. Had you heard of that? Oh, you've never been to the Mausoleum? (laughs) I'm not kidding. It's one of the best mausoleums out there. It is, really. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite mausoleum? Uh, I, I like the mausoleum in Chicago. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, but it's nothing. To I do. saw I saw Wilco there. <laughs> good band. Yeah, yeah. Ac- according to uh, yeah, mausoleums chart- work really well for their acoustics. <laughs> really good. Oh, None, go. The most the one besides the pyramids that's been around the most recently. It's kind of a tie between the mausoleum and the lighthouse at Alexandria, which have both been gone for five hundred years now. Wow, so a lot of a lot of boat Hang Gardens was a lot of boat gone. accidents. Enough. Yeah, <laughs> from one AD on, yeah. all these boats up on it. <laughs> Why didn't these build another one, guys? Uh, it wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be the same. It's Unless fun. it's going to be a wonder of the world, it's not worth doing. That's right. That's right. There's only one lighthouse. I saw it, I saw an article recently on things, um, bad tourist traps. And more, and on the list, there was some of the uh, some that I understand. There was like Wall you drug. know Bob, Bobby's drugstore in Texas, but then but then there was like the t- the Leaning Tower of Pisa, and I think well, surely that's probably one of the most visited sites in the world. And someone's yeah. gone, nah, it's 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 it's, it's, car- it's garbage because there's all these people all posing with their finger up in there as if yeah, they're I mean, as if they're leaning. Right, we've all done that. the picture. I've been there, <laughs> and I think I think. I think you tell a lot about someone as to whether they pose with themselves holding up the tower or pushing it over. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like a psychopath That's test. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Or what? Or if, if you're a professional stander, you just lean to the side so it doesn't look like it's leaning at all. And then the camera leans and everything like, looks correct except for the ground. Yeah. yeah. That's right. And then you see just a car rolling uphill. You know, what is this place? <laughs> Who made this? Yeah, they should do a cross promotion with Mystery Spot and the Leaning Tower. Just make that all make that Europe's Mystery Spot. Isn't that where they drop the the feather and the stone off to, to, to for the test gravity? Is that not the Leaning Tower? That sounds right. But then again, yes. if they did that, it wouldn't have worked because a feather will go slower because there's air. So I don't know why that would have been. Oh, yeah. I did, I, maybe, maybe it was two uh, separate. Science guys. I think it was two different weights that he dropped. Two different weights. Was it Galileo? I think it was Galileo. I was trying to remember whether it was Galileo or Aristotle. Aristotle was too old. Yeah. Galileo was, was always dropping stuff, though. He, he was. He was just so very clumsy. clumsy. He just wanted to show off his two different weights to the crowd. People go, no, what are you doing? He goes, well, they're both going to hit the ground at the same time anyway. He's like, hey, look at my two weights that I caught. <laughs> yeah, it was like Michael Jackson with the kid, except it went badly. Yeah, he just, like, and he was always saying the wrong thing at the, the wrong time right? and dropping clangers. He's like, the guy's just a maniac. <laughs> so, yeah, according to was the it? traditional account to refute the Aristotelian notion that heavier objects fall faster. Oh, that's why Aristotle was in my head. Galileo... <clears throat> did perform that experiment at the top of the Leaning Tower. He dropped two spheres of different weight, and they hit at the same time. Right. I wonder if it hit a guy getting a picture of himself <laughs> holding the thing up. And now we're talking. I always like to drop a penny off the CN Tower and see how, because it, it supposedly it could go through a skull yeah, that's at that complete height. Yeah, I think that's been disproved. It's, I mean, I bet if you could spin. How do you disprove that? Because well, you, it hits terminal velocity very, like, the terminal velocity of a penny, it kind of flops around. If you ever dropped one off even just a few stories, it never gets to a. It, it's not like it's um, constantly up. accelerated. It's it's it, he yeah, reaches it, a it doesn't stay quick. vertical. It start it flips it in flops. the air, so there's loads of air resistance, so it oh. hits a maximum speed. In fact, I bet you could throw a penny harder than it would fall on its own with air. Oh. You probably hurt someone more by throwing Let a penny. Let me see. Okay. Uh, yeah, Let's, but then again, and also if you it, could if you could spin it so it would stay oriented vertically the whole time, I bet it could be deadly. It could speed up. Yeah, I'm guessing. I, well, I, spin well, it fast well, enough, what I did, I sharpened the edge of it, so. That's important. I sharpened the edge of it so I knew it was going to cut through the skin. 
Oh, I'm sure. It's okay, be here we go. Terminal velocity terminal of a penny is is between thirty and fifty miles an hour. It's so slow. So the fastest it can go is fifty miles an hour, and it's not got much mass to it. So the momentum yeah. when it hits, if I it hits you on the head, it wouldn't have much of an impact. I think you could throw hard. Fifty miles an hour, I think it that. would hurt. It would hurt, but it certainly wouldn't. It wouldn't crack a skull. You don't think so? No. No. It might might I'm make a, you might cut you a little bit. But yeah, I'd say it would hurt. How fast? Plus also, fastest human to throw a penny. Oh, but also you'd look up and you wouldn't be able. To, there could be like the CN Tower. You'd be like, "Whoa, who is up there?" <laughs> it was Mister Moneybags. Question there. everyone that comes out. Did you throw a penny at me? To take you all day. <laughs> People uh, think you're nuts. This Scientific American article actually says twenty-five miles an hour is what it would because of the fluttering is what it would actually hit. So that's oh, really right. not fast. I do want to see if anyone's tried to spin one and make it stay That's, that's 40 that. kilometers per hour for Australian and European you, friends. You, you guys know the old phrase, if uh, you get hit in the head with a penny, pick it up. <laughs> it brings All you the luck. Have. <laughs> You've already been hit in the head with a penny, so it's not very lucky. Uh, if there is no air, though, and it fell off a... I didn't say what skyscraper, I think well, it would be Well, then there's no the, turn uh, velocity. It'll just... If there was no air, it would go... It would hit to, get yeah. to about 200 plus miles an hour oh, falling so off a skyscraper. Don't um, pennies on there. And at that speed, apparently, it would damage your skull, but it still wouldn't drill through. So, now uh. you're pretty, you're pretty safe having being underneath a penny. If there was no air, wouldn't that be a vacuum, though? Yeah. So if there was a skyscraper it would float. in space, no, because a va- vacuum still doesn't affect gravity. So if it was a, if you if you were on like say the moon where, uh, there's no air. Yeah. But that has a sixth. Is it a sixth of the gravity? Sounds about yeah, it's right. a sixth of the gravity. Yeah. yeah. So even still, it would probably get to what? Two. Or, or I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. It would be. Uh, you couldn't do the math off the top of your head if if you knew it would get to 200 with Earth's gravity. I don't know. Right. Pretty fast though. Pretty fast. I thought the same thing about having sex on the moon. <laughs> Just <laughs> It'd like, be a lot faster. No, you'd be like ram. And you could be you could be a heavy set person and really go for it. Like, That's a very good point. Like a lot of positions open up to you. <laughs> you know in what I mean? Space or low. But then the suits yeah. are cumbersome. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, that's true. We got to be safe. Has anybody? <laughs> do we have confirmation that anybody has had sex in orbit? No, it's been mooted. Yeah. What do you mean? Like, there's been rumors that some of the space station there's been some space space station romances but well, hey what happens in space stays yeah. in space but i mean, <laughs> I mean literally <laughs> if it hasn't happened yet that's crazy to think there is a first like that that still awaits humanity if no one's done it what no g no i, no, I no g sex has no happened because you could do it on the, one of those vomit comet planes but like in orbit but even right. still how have people done it and there's on those vomit comments? I'm sure some you know rich what? person it's, has it's human right? beings of course they yeah. can right yeah the mile high club becomes the yeah I don't know how high that the space station is how in miles is it like 70 miles a 70 90 mile miles I don't know all this stuff we should know all by the way right. listeners if you is have that, had sex in zero gravity jokes? what's that Adam Bloom does a joke about um, about uh, Neil Armstrong on sitting on his deck and he went I look at him and going I wanked on that <laughs> <laughs> Um. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, between 205 and 270 miles is where the International Space Station. Wow. That's a fair distance. Yeah, it is. More than I thought. But um, yeah, as we talked about before on the podcast, that's not. I think we had like a fight with Jesse back in the day about the fact that there isn't. It's not that there's zero gravity at that altitude, that elevation. It's just that they're in free fall. There's almost the same gravity as there is here on the surface of the Earth. So it's, yeah, if you were standing still, you would still plummet to the Earth very quickly. Okay, so Mythbusters did this as well with a penny. 
And they, they shot a penny at over 700 miles an hour at a gel skull. <laughs> and the penny wasn't even able to penetrate the gel at all at that speed because of the the thickness of the penny. Really? Compared to like a bullet, for example. Really? So, and that's over three times the speed a penny would reach falling from the Empire State Building With if there was no air resistance wow. at all. Next wow. thing you're going to tell me, dogs and bees can't smell fear. Is everything <laughs> that I learned in third grade on the playground not true? Jesus. Dogs and bees. <laughs> Why bees? Of all the think, of all the other animals they could have chosen. Wasn't there yeah. some story about them training sniffer bees a while back? To do what? I'm sure we to cover this. Fear? To smell drugs and or explosives. Yeah? Because bees, be- you can train them very quickly. Oh, I thought you were saying like a, a fake thing. Like, no, 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 like no, a real really, thing. They, they'd go fly towards the Well, it's the even, they actually material. have them inside containers, like inside like a sort of capsule. Um, and there's electric sensors that detect when they move or respond a certain way. So are you searching for this while I, while I bullshit my way through this? <laughs> I am searching for something else that I'll tell you about when I find uh, it. I, I've, I'm fascinated. But... Because technically, if that's true, then you could get you could have your own drug bees. So when you you misplace your marijuana, you can yeah. get, the, get the drug bees out and then let them free in your house. Go, oh, it's over oh, here. Oh, it's the wrong bees. Release the bees again. Why do I get stoned in the first place? I always make this mistake. Oh, I've got to stop keeping bees near my way. <laughs> <laughs> Why do we even have bees and drugs in the same yes. house? <laughs> uh, because you've got drugs and bees. Uh, no, there doesn't be a reason. I st- sniffer bees, by the way, auto-completed. I found the, the thing that made me think of the dogs and bees, which was an old Matt Groening comic strip from Life in Hell or Life is Hell or School is Hell, whichever one of those. Did you ever read any of those? Oh, yeah. Not. They were in the back of the, the Now magazine, which is the Toronto street paper. That's where he, that's where one of the first papers that uh, syndicated his drawings. Those drawings, they were famous for years before any, before The Simpsons ever came on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you think Sniffer B? You're looking at uh, Yeah, but here's a BBC article that has a picture of this. <laughs> Hang on, I'm going to show you. This is the picture of the professor, Professor Thomas Na- Nowotny, who's yep. professor of informatics at the University of Sussex. <laughs> And the caption is, Professor Thomas Nowotny, he knows his bees. <laughs> he knows his bees. He's giving a big thumbs up. Yeah. So, oh, it's their oh, tongues. That's right. We did talk about this on the show years ago. They have tongues. So they put their tongues out in response to, or their proboscis out in response to one odor and not in response to another. And you can train them. Oh, so they wow. train them, the bees. They give them an odor and some sugar water with it as a reward. Then they learn to use the proboscis to try and lick the sugar water and later you just give it the odor and they will try to lick wow the good thing about the bees using their tongues is that humans can see it so they know when insects are near something they recognize right they uh they have the receptors to do explosives and illegal substances so it doesn't uh, surprise them that they can also smell drugs so I wonder like like uh, dogs they also know when a woman's pregnant you can train them I guess yeah, that's what I think. Women are advised to stay away from bees. <laughs> well, it's too late now, <laughs> honey. I got you a present. It's like first you can't swim with sharks. Now you can't hang out with bees. bees. What fun shit can you? Yeah. you know how you're jealous that. of my beard. Well, <laughs> I got a treat for you, <laughs> Phil. We got we got very. Oh, there, there's the cartoon. Have you ever Great. seen that before? I had not. Uh, it's it's just every frame of the comic strip is one of these young theories. Like, uh, if you die in your dream, you'll die. Um, if you cut open a golf ball, the radioactive juice inside will blow up. 
If you I've eat a bunch never, of fizzies, then one. drink a glass of water, you'll explode. That would be Pop Rocks and Coke in particular, though, wouldn't it? It's not the old theory. Yeah, Pop Rocks. Or no, you put a what is a Minto in uh, in Coca Cola and ex- explodes. Well, that actually or Diet Coke, right? Diet or maybe Coke. both of them. That might be both, and they explodes. Um, but wait, the Chinese you, invented that. If you drink them, if you eat a Mento and then drink some Diet Coke, do you also get like oh, burpee? Yeah, I bet it goes all through you. Like maybe that's part of the fun. Yeah. What about those kids recently eating eating packages of uh, of deodorant? Or not deodorant. Oh, the Tide Pods. Of, of, of I've tide. got one of those over there if you want to try it. No, no. Yeah, let's do it. Let's try it. I got one in the no, mail. Not, well, I, I have some at home. They look like candy. They shouldn't have made them look like that. They yeah, look like they candy. Look I mean, they, made it, they, made it look, they make them look edible. And then go, oh, you shouldn't eat it. It's like, here's a steak flavored... Uh, it's the Hershey's brand rat poison. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, we 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 fought for a long time before getting into any of the stories. Uh, but what what if anything, Phil, is your background in science? Oh well, Matt, I uh, <laughs> I'm a very scientific person. I actually um, be, have become more scientific. In fact, I talk about it in my show, the show that I'm doing now. You're wrong. I was I was born into this uh, a born again Christian family in the Brethren faith. So like the Quakers or the Amish were oh, okay. very devout, which meant that I wasn't allowed to listen to secular music or watch films and TV. And although I was educated and went to school and stuff like that, it was also I was quite cloistered and didn't, uh, you know, stuff like these scientific ideas were like crazy ideas. And, and creation was actually it was seven days and that was it. And so I didn't know you don't you don't know when you're young. So until I started turning 12, 13 and I. I started realizing, hang on a minute, like that can't, and you, you know, you go to school and you learn, you learn science and you realize, well, that makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, so when that happens, it's like, it's not like a gradual picking it up. It's like a, it's like a, oh, wow, I, have I ever been lied to? It's not even lied to. It's, it's not, it's, that's not, that's, that's how, how it feels now. Uh, so when I when I started studying the sciences, I actually really got into it. And, I, and, I, and when I was 15, I was taking three all three science options at uh, in high school. Uh, astro there was an astro class, astrophysics class, and there was a uh, you know, chemistry and and of and of biology or something like that. So and I was really into them. I really into doing biology. And, and I, I, I find I, that that that's I think that's happened. We've had quite a few uh, guests on the show who had similar things where they. They grew up in a very unscientific background, very religious background, and then suddenly, suddenly, when they find out about these things, they're like, "Oh!" Then it just you sort of replace that, yeah, that missing thing with this hunger for the knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. And I needed to know, and I and especially the astrophysics, I really got into uh, into um, astronomy, and and still to this day, people think I'm lying. But if if there's a new moon, I can look up into it and tell you where which which where the planets are, because I just learned that they are slightly bigger and brighter. Or if if it's on a full moon, if you can see a star, it's usually a planet, because it's only bright light that will shine shine through it. And by the color of it, you can usually tell where it is. And and I have a little, I have an app, one of those Sky Night apps. Oh yeah, oh yeah, those are great. Where where you just sort of like you hold the phone up, and the phone knows by the orientation of it. Yeah, what you're looking at. Shows you and it shows you all the constellations. I guarantee, and it does during the day as well because it tells you where they are. So I can't. Yeah, the fun, the fun thing it. I like about that as well is you can you can point it down on the ground and then you get to see sort of what are the constellations on the other side of the Earth. If you were standing in Australia right now or wherever. Yeah, oh. that is it. That is it. And one of the, one of the, and because of that, that kind of thing really used to like 
make drive me wild because I thought, well, that's that in itself proves that there's not just one like why would this larger presence, greater thing be worried about what I'm getting up to when there's all that to take care of, right? <clears throat> right. So, but then one one of the most amazing things that uh, a guy called Kevin Healy who runs a, a comedy club and runs a couple of, and is sort of the comedy Galway Comedy Festival, he took us up to Galway University where they've got the world's largest computer, uh, and what it does is the computer's hooked up to every single telescope in in the world that's that's on the grid mm-hmm. and uh, and the Hubble and all of them and all the information and it's so the three big rooms of like what you th- imagine Deep Blue used to look like and then they take you into this little room you do a 3D tour so it's a little tiny like a you know big flat screen TV how big is your TV? Yeah. Uh, don't don't tell people because they might break in. <laughs> they might break in. We live uh, somewhere else. Anyway, yeah. so, so, but no, uh, we so you sit there. We and don't even live in town. We're telecommuting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they show, but they, these the guy. What they've done is they show you what uh, a D, a three D version, but three D glasses on, and they take you from the Earth and you fly out through the solar system into the into our galaxy, out of our galaxy, and then they show you. They take you and show you all of the known space that there is, and it was actually. That's amazing, and they they, they, they they put it on a map, and it's actually three flat three three flat planes going towards the middle where they think the Big Bang would have been, mm-hmm. and it and it spreads out, but it doesn't spread out evenly. And in between the two planes, they don't know what that is, and that's part of the and the, and the, and it takes you all the way out there. It's about a forty five minute trip with music. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's know. not Pink Floyd. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. With a, with a voiceover from some like sort of B. William Shatner guy, and then. And then you go come all the way back in again, and and you kind of like wow, and I'd I'd like to I'd like to do that trip someday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd like to do that trip one, you know. Yeah, so sweet. I I, I like I just I just love that idea because then once you start to think that way, you realize well, it's ridiculous to imagine that um, you get in trouble for killing a fruit fly. <laughs> yeah, it does push it in perspective. I mean, I definitely. don't kill them because I think for that for that reason, I think they're even more amazing. How do you why, get rid why of would fruit you flies? Do, I, I wave my hand at them. I don't eat fruit. <laughs> Throw away the banana peels in your garbage. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I started vacuuming. I had like a dust buster, and you can surprisingly get most of the fruit flies. They're so slow and dumb. <laughs> dumb. And it doesn't kill them. They're dumb. They're just <laughs> in the bag now, and if you just shake it out outside, maybe they're alive. I don't oh, know. yeah, maybe. Maybe. I just think it was funny to think of fruit flies being dumb. You know, like I didn't get. By the way, when I was, <laughs> okay, maybe it's a little normative, or uh, maybe I'm like anthro. They've, they've written novels; they're just really short. <laughs> exactly. They don't. They don't have time to read them. When the, I was novellas, a kid, novellas. Yeah. That one. That one liner, um, which I think it was attributed to Groucho Marx, but it probably wasn't him at all. But it was a uh, time. Time flies like an arrow. Fruit flies like a, like a banana. banana. Yeah. Oh yeah, I did That's not. Great. I didn't get that at all when I was a kid. I read that. I was like, yeah, I guess fruit does fly through the air like a banana does. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, oh, man. But yeah. I, 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 there was, the, you know, the, you know, the Jain monks. So, you know, you know, Jain, Jain monks are the, it's a strand of Buddhism where they don't want to kill. Oh, I do. Yes, they don't do want to that. kill any. Yeah, J-A-I-N. Yeah, they don't want to kill. So they don't want to kill any, any living organism. But the problem with that is as science has progressed and we realize there's uh, microscopic organisms, they now can't put drops in their eyes. And, you know, like, I mean, you, you can't live, there's organisms on your skin. Oh, so they, oh so, that's so, interesting. So like, even wash, like even washing your skin or just. Yeah, so Jain Going monk outside, is, just exposing yourself to the sun kills microorganisms well, on your it. skin. So they used to have like uh, um, supplicants, I guess, is the, or, or little like other sub monks that would uh, go walk in front of them and brush the sidewalk so there'd be no no 
bugs or slugs or moss and, and they'd make sure that these Jane monks didn't even step on ants or anything uh-huh. like that. And, and now they've got microorganisms, uh, microorganisms in their eyes and they're, they don't know how to deal with that. Yeah. That, once so, you go down that road, if you don't set some line of like, okay, vertebrates or something, then e- you're going to make your life very difficult. Really difficult. Yeah. I like the concept of it, of course, because, you know, it means they're act, act, eventually there will be peace because no one will be hurting each other. Yeah. But, yeah. but uh, it also makes it highly impossible to live. So you wouldn't be able to put, like, um, you know, chemicals in water. Oh, yeah, I guess any kind of... It's, it's anyway. too much. Even just starting to think about it, you realize how quickly it would. However, be with the way the environment is, it makes sense. If only we were a little more environmentally conscious like that, we wouldn't be in the situation that we're in. Yeah, that's true. Although, what, do, do they yeah. still make a? Do you, do you know if they still make an effort, or do they just go, "Ah, oh, fuck it, we might as well." You can't avoid it now, so I just might as well just kick cows to death. Yeah, I wonder if they went through the same thing I went through. They get to a certain age and go, fuck this. Oh, well, sorry. <laughs> just punch people randomly. Yeah, I Grab can't. The, bring that squirrel. I can't take penicillin because <laughs> that's killing the bacteria inside me. Well, yeah, yeah exactly. I might as well. All right, fuck it. Bring me that puppy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was my puppy. He was being strangled. Oh, I, I know. I think You're I... a trained actor. You don't need to explain this. <laughs> You know, like one of those impressions that goes, uh, wouldn't it be funny if a puppy was being strangled? You know, it's like, no, it wouldn't be funny at all. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. So the thing about Phil's act, he's he's very accurate, but very wrong about what things are funny. <laughs> Uh, he's, thought, well, you, what, so when someone comes out of your stand-up act, they don't, you want to go, uh, technically he was correct. <laughs> yeah, that shouldn't right. be the takeaway from this show. No, no. Honestly, if you, it's like, if you close that, your eyes, it was like that horrendous thing was in the room with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you can almost feel your fingers around its neck. <laughs> he's that good. <laughs> and awful. <laughs> but bad. <laughs> Does, does the dog sound different when you strangle him if he's standing in a, a Jacobian uh, position, <laughs> yeah, sort of exactly. pause, pause out? <laughs> exactly. The dog. The dog. Did they have? I guess they had pets in Elizabethan times. I just. Oh imagine, yeah. I just imagine they were so hungry they ate everything. <laughs> no, I think they. But they probably must have had dogs. Well, when were dogs? Uh, I domesticated. Have no idea. But probably by then, right? Oh, wait, way, Ro- way Ro- before Ro- that. Ro- Romulus, okay. Romulus, and Romus, Romus, and Romus, Remus. Remus, and Remus, Remus, and Romulus. They're dogs, aren't they? They are. They, they were no, they're raised by wolves. Oh, right. But no, oh, people wait, had people, people had. <laughs> <laughs> no, the domestication of the dog was way before a recorded memory. Okay. So oh, I have a theory. About, I have a theory about than... dogs. Since we're talking, what's about your dog it, theory? Though, is I think dogs just realized they were like they're. We think they're dumb, but actually, of all the animals, they just thought. Hey, they're probably looking at the other animals who are wild going, guys, you got to get with the program because you guys are not going to last forever. Whereas the don't, we'll, we will always keep we'll be here as around. long as the humans. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. They've, they've figured it out pretty quick. And cats have reluctantly gone, okay, if I have to. Okay. And, don't- and the rest of the animals are like, keep us away <laughs> from this. Yeah. So the. Uh, I petted a turkey recently. Do they like being petted? <laughs> yeah. A little baby turkey it was with a whole bunch of tur- other turkeys, and I think once you've petted a baby turkey, it's really hard to eat them. I guess that's probably true. Well, for not the any same animal, turkey, but right? in yeah. general. Um, Maybe so that's what we should do this to start veganism as like pig, petting pet zoos. pigs and stuff. Yeah, I like pigs. I that's what I I don't hang out with a lot of pigs because I am a hypocrite. I still am going to eat pork, and I don't want to have to feel bad about it. But I imagine they're great. I remember playing with a friend's pig on his farm, and and then after we had a little play with the pig, he went, "Yeah, well, he's he's." gave the date that he was going to get done for and I was like how can you do that I mean, it's just 
part of the process of living on a farm. Like, well, that's weird. So yeah. I, I could, once the pigs, once the animals got a name, I don't think you can. Yeah, I thought they try not to name them when they're on those kind of farms, but maybe not. No, I know. think they name them because uh-huh. they want to call them. Now you got to look um, them in the eye. So, <laughs> man. <laughs> hey, Phil, how would a how would a pig being slaughtered sound? <laughs> Oh, I, well, I, I don't have to, to guess that because I've got an album called One Pig by Matthew <laughs> Herbert, which I let you which I let you hear. Matthew Herbert, the oh, exper- God, this ex- rings experimental um, electronica artist. Oh. Did yeah, it- this is a thing I learned from living with Phil for many years <laughs> in London was he has an extensive and very weird collection of music. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I listen. Well, I mean, you listen to everything from very mainstream music to very odd stuff. I do, but I collect those type of albums because I like to put music on at parties and everyone goes, you know, you're playing something like mild, like, uh, I don't know, something, something they don't like. They go, what are you playing this for? You go, oh, you don't like the music? They go, oh, put something else on. I go, okay. And I put on one pig or some Japanese rap. And they go, take this off. This is horrible. I go, you want me to put the other album back on? Yes, please. That's why I collect those albums. So one pig, Matthew Herbert is a genius. An electronica genius had this album where the pig recorded the album over a period of a year, and uh, <laughs> he, he'd wired up the pig's uh, the the trough of the pig to make electronic sounds, and then in in one and he does it month by month, so he records the whole thing and then he put the album together. In one of the tracks, he comes into the pig's pen and plays the song, the pig a song on the guitar, and and then the, the last track is actually the pig going to slaughter, and at the very end of the album, you can hear people with their knives and forks on plates and them going. Mm, 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 mm. And, and there's a there's a film that goes with it, and he, he now travels around to uh, arts festivals performing that. And he he didn't add any kind of beat to this. There's no there's no. Well, there was a remix album. Michu did a remix. There's a remix album that goes with it, which is like a techno. Gong, 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 gong. Get dial some up. Put it on. Gong, 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 gong. Put put on put on a bit of one pig. Here's a little bit of one pig. Are you playing the very first track? Did not, uh, not much happens for a while. There you go. October. Okay. It's a pig. Yeah, but, but well, let's give the head. That's so the, the pig, pig was playing all that. The pig. <laughs> it's pretty good, right? So you could you really feel you hear the pig improve as a musician over the course of the album. <laughs> yeah, but then by the by by July he's gone. He's lost it. He's met another pig and he just isn't working anymore. He's got too comfortable. Uh, yeah. He got into acid. He met <laughs> he a acid. Japanese pig. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And by the end, he's just useless. So they, they kill him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you like electronica and you and you want to, and then the Michu, the remix of that is uh, dynamite because it's like hardcore um, uh, trance techno. Um, with, with the pig noises in it. Interesting. If you like animal, if by the way, just to plug it, one of my favorite albums I've been listening to recently is called Pod Tune, and it's the first uh, whale and Setian uh, co- collaboration album. And it's um, they asked they asked all these electronica art house electronica um, sound designers to take a whale song whales 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 sing in a nineteen hour cycle whale songs. 19 hours and and they've recorded them and the cycle repeats and each pod has its own song I so know they can find each other so so you can the the, uh, the whales will know even if it's from like like 100 miles away it's it's a similar it's from the same because they have the similar uh, whale cycle so these guys took these 19 hour whale cycles and wrote some electronica around it and 
it's a uh, whale singing with with humans doing the backbeats that's awesome yeah i looked up one pig on pitchfork because i was curious what they have to say about it 8.0 yeah well matthew herbert's renowned i went to see david byrne do a talk david byrne wrote a book about sound uh, which is scientific, actually. You should put that, Google that up, because sure. um, that's a really interesting idea. And he did a talk at the at the Mayfair uh, Curzon in London, and Matthew Herbert. It was him and Matthew Herbert in conversation, and I I think Peter Curran was the was the uh, what do you call it adjudicator? What do you call it when? Moderator, the moderator, uh, so, and there was a Q and A. People, the Q, people are in Q and As are just rubbish, right? Because there's there's really interesting. It's really interesting conversation going on about 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 sound, music, and sound, mm-hmm. and then they go, "Okay, let's take a question." Open the, it up to the- uh, in 1979, <laughs> the Talking Heads like, no, like, what do you? <laughs> we read a book. It's, in, it's already every book that's ever been written about them has the answer to that question. Well, I'm, I want to listen to Matthew Herbert, who's like recorded pigs yeah. for a living. Uh, I mean- six part question. Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll take the last five parts off, Mike. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and they always do the thing where they just give, like Matt was saying the other night, they just t- they tell they do a little TED uh, talk on what they know about the subject, and then they put a question mark at the end, as if, yeah, so they can show a, to the rest of the audience maybe, how much they know about. What maybe they, even if you're lucky, you get the question at the end. It's L A Q and A's are the worst. We've all sat through them, and yeah. Uh, oh, did they op- after I left yesterday? We we saw a screening yesterday. Did they do any? You know what they yeah, they only went to a couple of audience questions and they were actually good. They okay. were reasonable, but um, but also that moderator is a good one. Like she's. Generally, her questions are good, and she's also good at keeping control of the audience. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the LA what the the real stereotypical LA one is like. So I find when I'm acting, <laughs> I and then just a three minute speech, yeah. and at the end of it, the moderator has to go. So your and your question is. I know. You should is, see, uh, do you, you agree? Yeah. You should see when I do like my standing, uh, <laughs> my my uh, workshops <laughs> and the questions people ask are right. <laughs> Like, could what you, you, what kind of shoes you wear? Like, shut up. Like, uh, could you just move aside? <laughs> exactly. Could, could you stand at the back, please? Uh, I hate amateur standers. Um, it's a. Uh, it's they can't deal with with their weight very well. Yeah. See where I'm going with this? Maybe. Uh, yeah. What are we talking about? Questions. Well, you got to have standards. <laughs> well, no, I was going to go into. Uh, okay. Well, I was going to go into a little correction. Oh, okay. Because we like a little corrections and clarifications as well as questions. And our, our buddy, our Australian buddy, Michael Smout, messaged uh, in episode 314, two episodes ago, when we were talking about Nobel Prize, I brought up the myth that Rosalind Franklin was robbed of a Nobel for the discovery of DNA. Uh, but it's often thought she should have been a recipient. While she was definitely due a lot more attribution than was given at the time, she died in 1958, four years before the Nobel was awarded in 62. And as you noted, they are not awarded after death. There's no posthumous Nobel Prizes. Oh, no. Um, She wasn't so much snubbed as she was snuffed. Yeah, and there's a couple of PSs. Speaking of the famous Rosalind, it would be great to give a shout-out to Franklin Women, uh, which is an inspirational group uh, run by Melina, a fellow student from back in the day, a fellow student of Mike's, uh, inspired by Rosalind missing out on attribution to one of the great discoveries. They were a group that mentors and helps create opportunities for women in STEM fields. That's franklinwomen.com.au is the website. And then also... Uh, Wikipedia at the Frank of the Rosalind Franklin page covers the controversy over her work. Uh, interestingly, her colleague and successor got a Nobel in 1982 that she probably would have shared if she hadn't died of cancer. Mm, wow. There we go. Little Rosalind Franklin correction. What was the story you were going to go for, Andy? Um, pr- pretty big <clears throat> thing uh, that's relevant to all fields of science. Uh, we've officially decided to change the definition of the kilogram. 
Yeah, a couple of people sent in this story, including, sorry to not be able to give attribution to everyone. I know Julian Alberto sent it in. I think at least one other person did too. Yeah, I think I saw someone on Twitter send it in. Um, and we talked about this when we had um, um, the author of uh, How to Invent Everything, Daniel North, on uh, about how, you know, there's some measures that are that are, that are are absolutes, like a, a second is the number yeah. of... Um, vibrations of cesium or something or the amount of time it takes for a certain number of those and a meter is um amount of time the length the light goes in you know a fraction of a second uh but a kilogram was still defined by an actual kilogram oh here we go uh, jess mulroy sent it in on facebook as well hey jess wow. so actually oh this is kind of a longer version of the story but um oh, there's a version of it from the week if you want the slightly easier one let's do that that's uh, that Jess sent in on... I'm going to put that in the show notes for you right now. Rather than the Smithsonian version. There you go. It's in show notes. Excellent. Click away. Click away, my friend. <laughs> so, yeah, scientists are preparing to officially update the definition of a kilogram after using an old metal prototype as the, gold, as the global reference for almost 130 years. Since 1889, the exact mass of one kilogram has been based on an object known as Le Grand K, a cylinder of platinum and iridium which sits under three glass bell jars in a locked vault outside Paris. But uh, the International General Conference on Weights and Measures is going to convene in Versailles to hold a vote on whether to adopt a new definition. Um, according to NPR, the decision is expected to be unanimous and a mere formality after years of work. So... Um, Going forward, the world's system of mass measurement will not be based on some special hunk of metal, but rather on un- unalterable features of the universe. Uh, Zeyna Kubarik of the National Institute of Standards and Technology in Maryland says, It's history in the making. We're changing a mass realization system that we've had for 129 years. Wait, I thought it was 100... Oh, almost. Okay. Uh, for 129 years. It's a huge event. Um, so according to Reuters, all modern mass measurements are traceable back to Legrand K, uh, from micrograms of pharmaceutical medicines to kilos of apples and blah, blah, blah. Um, however, despite being stored under glass and regularly cleaned, Legrand K can pick up dust and dirt and its weight can be affected by the atmosphere. That means it's not a constant weight, which isn't good. Uh, we live in a modern world. There are pollutants in the atmosphere that can stick to the mass, explains Ian Robertson, a specialist in the engineering materials and electrical science department at Britain's National Physics Laboratory. So when you get when you just get it out of the vault, it's slightly dirty, but the whole process of cleaning or handling or using the mass can change its mass. Yeah, it's crazy we've still been doing that. It is it is really weird to think that the standard for this particular measurement is just a piece just a lump of metal in France. Yeah. So it's just a random Yeah, it's just been I mean it's very carefully produced, but it's like that is now the, that's the standard kilogram whereas all other they try to they've tried to define all other um measurements in terms of things that are more universal things that are yeah yeah, and unchanging for example it says in this article the uh the meter was originally described as one ten millionth of the distance from the north pole to the equator and was defined by a metal bar also kept in france but in the 1980s again metal bars change size depending Mm -hmm. on temperature i don't know how they define that but in the 1980s scientists redefined the meter as the distance that light can travel through a vacuum in around one three hundred millionth of a second. I'm sure the actual number is very specific. So uh, the kilogram makeover will derive mass from the Planck constant, which is a number deeply rooted in the quantum world. They will use an ultra-sensitive piece of equipment called a kibble balance to calculate Planck's constant from a kilogram reference mass. The instrument is similar to scales, but instead of counteracting one weight with another, the object being weighed is balanced by electromagnetic forces. 
Planck's constant is proportional to the energy needed to balance the mass. Then armed with a precise value for Planck's constant, researchers can do the reverse and use the balance to measure unknown masses. I still don't quite get it. But. Well, it's kind of similar going back to the, but the, it's like the Jane monks discovering that it's no longer viable to 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 measure things that way. That in they don't kill that because as you just as we discover more about science, even those those quantities will change because yeah. then they'll realize there's fluctuating electromagnetic pulses or whatever. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it's going to have to constantly be updated. That's yeah, pretty but, close. Yeah, I mean, I think it was close enough that we were able to, we got to the moon, you know, with the, the weights and measures that we have now. Well, these things, and but, also but, the, the same, the, I always wonder, like, you know, so gold is a gold standard, but it's just, a, it, it was, is there an actual reason why they chose gold, or is it just because? We talked about this. I, I wondered the same thing, if it was just its scarcity, and then uh, listeners wrote in and gave us a litany of reasons why gold was valuable, including that it's easy to work with, it was yeah. malleable, so it was useful as a... You know, for dental work from yeah. ancient times and, and jewel work, just because you can manipulate it. Um, you use, a, use it in a lot of satellites as well, right? Uh, no. Yeah, it's highly conductive. It's good for yeah, that. Yeah, it's used in it's, a lot of microchips um, in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it has actual properties that mean it, it's a pretty cool element, but also its scarcity and its beauty are, are part of it. But yeah. I thought it was because pirates liked it. And pirates like it. Well, that's definitely, that's the main reason. It does say in this article that it is mostly because of pirates. pirates yeah. <laughs> uh, so thank you to Julian Alberto and who else sent the tw- one via Twitter? That was Jess Mulroy. Nice. Uh, thank you as well. Before we get into other stories, because a lot of you little little update on the money front. A lot yeah. of you have donated money via PayPal by going to probablyscience.com and clicking on the donation button. There's some people to thank with that information. With that. So thank you, Peter Long, David Worth, Destruction Lane, Becky Grady, Jimmy Holtz, Alexander Jacobson, David Geelan. I think that's a new uh, monthly donation that David set up, so thank you. Bryson Rhodes, Oran Malafont, Sean Gordon, William Mulligan, and a one-off donation as well. Thank you very much, Andy Schult, who says a big fan of the podcast and finally got around to donating and is a biomedical animator. What is that? A biomedical animator in Chicago. Probably science is his go-to podcast while he works, listening to this week's edition, and thought is as thought I'd share a link to some waveform 3D printing. So I'll put a wow. link to that. Yeah, um, because I was very wrong when I thought I had invented something last week. Uh, if you Google it, it's been done many times, which is to make 3D jewelry out of waveforms, like to make 3D printed things that are uh, yeah. rotationally symmetrical. Right. Okay. And, um, yeah. you know, it could be like a, a bit of a favorite song or something you have to make mm. it into earrings or necklace and of course tons of people have already done this okay so uh he said i'll love to one of those i wonder who the first person was oh I, this one is a the sound of interstellar space as a waveform pendant i want to know what a biomedical animator is because that does sound know. a lot well, like see, a frankenstein yes yeah, no he's, he's, <laughs> <laughs> i thought he makes your heart into like hey buddy how's it going <laughs> <laughs> what's with you these are little scared run around in your head and tell you how to think. Puppeteer. Slow, yeah. slow down, slow down. You're, you're driving me crazy. So it, it <laughs> medical illustrator. So, okay. So it's to do with health and science visualization is in demand to keep pace with new discoveries, treatments, and technologies. Um, and a medical illustrator helps create oh, I, the well, still images for medical stuff. Oh, so well, that's what, you know, Marshall Cordell, our friend Marshall. Yeah, that's what he, he had a company. His, his, I went on a on a motorcycle trip around Vietnam with uh, Marshall, who was in the bone business of selling of selling and buying bones for for uh, medical purposes. You know, oh. you, but you're not, now they're now you're not allowed to have real bones anymore. But Marcel is that who, true? Yeah, 
Oh, yeah, Marcel, Marcel, who was like, on the tour with us, is uh, bought the company from Marshall and and basically takes cadavers. He if people have donated their body to science. He will his company will arrive at the scene of, of an accident and go right. That person has donated their bodies because they need to get it on ice as quickly as possible and ship it to you know like he was taking ten bodies out to Saudi Arabia uh, for the for the university out there. Oh. And one of the other things that his company, big thing his company does is he does medical drawings for it because they're constantly being reevaluated. So that guy there works for someone like my friend Marcel. Ah, that so makes who, sense. Who owns a company because you need because they need to update it constantly with the more, more the more knowledge they have. So oh, cool. Um, and, and, and I'm assuming animation now is in 3D and fully functional, so it shows you so it's ac- action packed. Like a functional. Hey, organ what are you doing? <laughs> but. By the way, I, I still have this article loaded up from the conversation we had about half an hour ago on the show about the origin of the domestic dog. Oh, uh, right. wait! What, are, what should we should we try to guess? Should Phil and I try to guess when we think the first? Well, it's there's no it's disputed as to exactly oh, when okay. it happened, so I'm not sure it'd be very guessable because there's different answers and there's different lineages of domestic dogs. But there's the Western Eurasian dog population, and then East DA, and then East Asian dogs that sort of took it over. But I can tell you that in 14,200 BC was the Bon Obercastle dog, which is an undisputed dog skeleton buried with a man and a woman. Oh. Uh, all okay. three skeletal remains were found sprayed with red hematite, uh, hematite powder. The consensus is a dog was buried along with two humans. Wow. And this analysis of DNA indicates this dog was a direct ancestor of modern dogs. So over 14,000 years ago... Wow. Uh, over sorry, sixteen thousand years ago, right. uh, approximately, there were dogs that were living and some version of pets of humans. So that's very yeah. long that's before the right Elizabethan around period. the Elizabethan era, right? Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. exactly when Shakespeare was <laughs> yeah. knocking around. I think exactly. <laughs> talk, did you talk about dogs? Yeah, they were buried with a rough. Colors. They all had a rough. <laughs> 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 oh, didn't good. even see the pun coming uh, as yeah, I said I it. Didn't. Oh, you did? Yeah. No. no, that's too good. I just slipped out. I forgot that's what those were called. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh man, so I was going to do some Shakespeare there. <laughs> what do, you, do you have a ton memorized? <laughs> okay, never mind. So that's stop edit. murdering you, him, you monster! You Sorry, it was just him doing it with his voice again. It was just him. He's Thank just you. that good. It's a, a out out damn spot was just telling the dog to go out for a walk. I think right. It was Perfect. Just, there we go. Yeah, yeah nice. <laughs> okay, we can't top that really. <laughs> uh, what else did we have this week? Uh, oh, speaking of animals, this is kind of a bummer, but I guess if I, it keeps them alive. Sorry. No, I was thinking dogs and bees. It would be to be to be or or not to be <laughs> to be or okay. to be done. <laughs> Um, listener this is Veronica this? Legler yes from who is a who's Peace Corps volunteer in Vanuatu yeah is that how you see it serving in the Peace Corps right now and we are we are keeping Veronica company excellent hi Veronica thank you for listening Veronica, and for keeping the peace Veronica that was Paul McCartney and uh, Elvis Costello Elvis Costello yeah. Veronica about his grandmother actually I'm going to have to come on, be honest here that was actually just Phil doing it again with his voice <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's that good he is that good watch this Veronica <laughs> Ver- Veron- stop murdering I- those dogs Elvis Costello <laughs> you know you know Paul's a vegetarian <laughs> Oh man! Uh, so under poaching pressure, <laughs> elephants are evolving to lose their tusks, which is crazy, but makes sense, I guess. The oldest elephants wandering Mozambique's Gorongosa National Park bear the indelible markings of the civil war that gripped the country for 15 years. Many are tuskless. They're the lone survivors of a conflict that killed about 90% of those beleaguered animals, slaughtered for ivory to finance weapons and for meat to feed the fighters. 
Hunting gave elephants that didn't grow tusks a biological advantage in Gorongosa. Recent figures suggest that about a third of younger females, the generation born after the war ended in 1982, never developed tusks. Normally, tusklessness, tusklessness, I like that, uh, would occur only in about 2 to 4% of female African elephants. Wow. Decades ago, some 4,000 elephants lived in Gorongosa, says Joyce Poole, an elephant behavior expert and National Geographic explorer who studies the park's pachyderms. But those numbers dwindled to triple digits following the Civil War. Damn. Uh, new as yet unpublished research she's compiled indicates that of the 200 known adult females, 51% of those that survived the war, animals 25 years or older, are tuskless. Wow. And 32% of the female elephants born since the war are tuskless. It's a pretty big change. Um, a male elephant's tusks are bigger and heavier than those of a female the same age, says Poole, who serves as scientific director of a nonprofit called Elephant Voices. But once there's been heavy poaching pressure on a population, then the poachers start to focus on the older females as well. So over time, with the older age population, you start to get this really higher proportion of tuskless females. Um, and I guess other countries with the history of ivory poaching also see similar shifts. In South Africa, the effect has been very extreme. Um, fully 98% of the 174 females in Addo Elephant National Park were reported tuskless in the early 2000s. Uh, it's worth pointing so, out here that the these aren't actually like the tusks, like the horn type things in the elephant. They're talking about the Fleetwood Mac album. Oh, oh. They, they ran out of copies of it. That's <laughs> right. a bummer. Uh, I just watched the movie Tusks. Are, are, so are, they, are they saying that it, because the, the the females with tusks aren't killed, that that's why they're so that they're. I'm, yeah, that's, I'm guessing that's if you're one of the one, there. if you're one of the two to four percent who's naturally tuskless, you're not going to you, get killed. But well, I'm guessing that also there's a higher chance that you're going to pass on the trait of tuskless tusklessness. That's, that's what I mean, those ones yeah. are more likely to be alive longer in order to do that. Yeah, is, is what I'm. I don't think the article says. There was a there was, the a, there was a there was a clip on the internet recently of a couple of poach American hunters. That uh, shot a shot an elephant at a distance, and they got attacked. They got uh, the whole pack ran at them, and it's I mean it's horrifying. I, I can't believe they're still doing it. To be honest, yeah, yeah. It's pretty, I, it is it's pretty outrageous. But uh, there is was it's not nothing really funny about the clip, other than you're as you see the elephants coming towards them, going them going oh shit oh shit. You're going come on. You really <laughs> want them. I just want them to get stampled, stamp, stampeded. They didn't. I think they got away, but it was really close. And you're thinking, come on. Uh, they deserve it. You know who yeah. I, I don't want to get stampeded? Um, How would you? Because we, we we thanked the donors and then we got distracted to him about medical animation. Oh, I forgot the point the... of what we were going to talk yes. about. Uh, we finally set up a Patreon. We have a Patreon. We finally set it up. We finally did it. And it turns out, even though we are yet to plug it on the show, two people have already found it. So thank, oh, great. I, oh, wow. We just got two emails. So thank you, our first ever two Patreon donors, Mike and Kyle S., we don't have last names there, but if you can go to patreon.com slash probably science. Um, and we're not going to like shut down the ability to send PayPal donations, but if you yeah, want we'll keep the PayPal going as well, because I know some people prefer that, but a lot of people have said that they would rather do Patreon and want to support our show through that. And so. we thought for one of the levels for $5 a month or more, we would start putting out some bonus content, including Q and a episodes with us and, uh, something we're calling probably follow-up until we think of a better name in which um, patrons can suggest questions they want to have us ask prior guests and we will we record will, Skype conversations with them to get or, those questions answered. Or if they're not able available for Skype, we'll at least try and get questions to them in some way or another. Yeah, yeah. There are obviously some some of our past guests are harder to pin down than others. I can't guarantee we'll be able to get a Neil Tyson Neil follow-up. But, but You never know. How about Afterburn? 
Ooh, thinking of like you're. I'm trying to come up with ideas for after burning. Implying so. that what we're doing right now is burning, or <laughs> yeah, or it's hot. It's hot. It is hot, hot off the hot. science presses. After. <laughs> after. Yeah. Then. Oh, yeah. Actually, if you could think of um, better names for what that is, then yeah, probably follow. We'll, we'll definitely take. We'll definitely that. take suggestions for names. But yeah, give us. Those thank you, thank you to everyone who supports us, and obviously the other way you can support if you're not able to financially is by spreading the word and telling people and giving us nice ratings on iTunes and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, do we we've got time for another story? I think uh, have we? I do. Do you guys? Yeah, oh, I'm yeah, here. Going on? I'm here. I've just got to go do some standing practice. And, uh, <laughs> you can't just you can't just rest on your standing laurels. Oh no way, man! You've got to keep working. No, on it. you've seen the Formula One. <laughs> I don't even know what that meant. I don't know what you know. Yeah, I have no idea what that meant. I, I just said the, the first thing that came to my mind. I was actually I actually meant the um, Tour de France, and then it came out Formula oh, okay. One. Okay, oh. Tour de France meaning you know how much. But you they, said it with so much confidence. I was like, I'm not going to show my ignorance by not getting this going, joke. <laughs> there, and there wasn't one. And I thought, wow, he's that's just bad. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Another bad joke. I like uh, should we do this this Tesla story? Yeah, it's kind of interesting because, you know, everyone, I feel like everyone shits on Elon Musk these days, but, um, you know, Tesla does make some pretty cutting edge shit. So, yeah, Elon Musk, asshole, crazy person. <laughs> I mean, is he an asshole? <laughs> company that has some he's very never, bad practices. He's never been nasty to me. They're definitely, they definitely have some bad practices when it comes to uh, worker Elon, treatment in their factories. Elon Musk. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that was one of the complaints. Um uh, However, Master of Earth, <laughs> they do have. It does sound like that. So the new, Elon. the new Tesla. This is a story Justin Braw sent in. The new, the the new Teslas have this, the rather ludicrously named bioweapon defense mode, which know. basically, the idea is it supposedly would be able to stop a bioweapon. It doesn't allow any unfiltered air into the cabin of the car. Uh, infect biological toxins or infectious agent, agents such as bacteria, fung fungi viruses uh so it's a defense mechanism for a chemical attack yeah that's that's the sort of but also useful coincident not coincidentally but um during the recent wildfires yeah, yeah. people have been or an air freshener about- <laughs> if you're living with a man who has a flatulence put on the oh, yeah, bio put on the biohazard <laughs> device honey <laughs> all kidding aside i wonder if you put that thing on how quickly you would get rid of the fart smell in the car yeah because i think it would do that because they, they ran a study they showed the um, the air quality inside and outside of the Model X after turning on this bioweapon wow. defense mode, and it drops down like that's the, amazing. The could you go one step further and speed. suck the lungs out of a human being using it? Sure. Yeah, the <laughs> lung suck mode is only available in the uh, yeah that's <laughs> the GT model. Well, you know, because there's how much how much biohazard exists in my bad breath. Uh. It doesn't say in this article specifically. In yours? No, it doesn't say in this article. No one ever answers my questions, Matt. <laughs> we'll do we'll probably follow up with Elon Musk about breath quality. No, but they, they must have thought of the negative. They're, they're always going with the positive, especially when it's a, a um, weapon, weaponized. I think they, they, they never really question, what could someone really bad do with this? They just think, it's really good for us. It'll protect our men and their tanks. And then they don't realize there's be a way What's of... an example of a bad thing from it? Well, you could turn it. You turn it around. Is most <laughs> it adds the pollutants. Oh, if you press the wrong button, yeah. it just makes your car poison. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Blow well, we well no, because the pollutants have, have to be the pollutants have to be stored somewhere. That's a good point. I don't so, know if we're, so you're going to have pollutants in a little again. can of pollutants hanging around. Yeah, yeah, it all goes into the pollutant bin that you have to empty at the end of the at the end of the wall. <laughs> exactly. Get Bobby. Bobby. 
What's that, kids? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Don't touch it. It's it's evil. Don't Bobby, touch it. Bobby, make sure you press the release the pollutants button and not the blow the pollutants into the car button. <laughs> you sure you got it right, Bobby? Uh huh. Because <laughs> last time you killed all those people in the car. Oh well. <laughs> He's really happy about it. Do 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 do. So one of the Tesla drivers posted a picture of this uh, laser particle counter they have inside and outside of their Tesla and outside, and they live in the Bay Area, so they're, they're getting bad air from the Paradise, California fires. Okay. Outside of the car, they were getting um, a reading of 105 PM 2.5, which is the same metric they were using on the Tesla test. What does that stand for? Do you know, Matt? It's not. Is it parts per million? But what is the 2.5 part? I do not know micrograms per meters cubed anyway this this number of uh, air quality or a high thing is bad went from 105 outside of the tesla to two inside wow i wonder if you could make that into like a, a personal unit you could put over your head just how so, dirty you, you know, are? like you know you, you know how in in southeast asia they were uh, those medical macs to try and uh, stop the you know I, actually i I've, I've learned from a friend of mine from Southeast Asia, it's actually to stop them from giving. Uh, yeah, I think out. a lot of times when you see like, with someone in an airport, it's like they're sick and they don't want to. They, get they it don't want it. They don't, want, or they're doing it anyway just in case they. Um, but you could maybe make a unit like that that's like just a personal, fresh air unit. Just and it's covering your face, but you can read the number on their face. Yeah. Hmm. Oh no, it's just covering their face and stopping them from you. So you just go straight to the, because that's on a car. To keep you inside the car, but why wouldn't you just have one around your around your mouth? Just, well, yeah, I guess just gas masks at that point, right? I guess a fancy gas mask. Fancy gas mask. That's what they could call them fancy gas masks. Get your Tesla fancy gas mask. <laughs> <laughs> With every purchase, you get a Tesla fancy gas mask. <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite recent tweets was uh, when Elon Musk jumped into the fray to offer his help with the fires. Someone was like, okay, we are two days away from Elon Musk calling firefighters pedophiles. <laughs> <laughs> right. Did he show up with that submarine again and go, hey guys, we should use this. <laughs> Elon, we told you. It's not going to work. <laughs> uh, Do you we'll have anything else for Mr. Musk. <laughs> um. Sorry, no, am, I, am I ruining your podcast? Not at all. No, yeah, it's, it's, this will be the last episode, guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just when you got Patreon as Patreon well. Was for Patreon, one day. Veronica, Veronica. Uh, we oh, we'll put a link to the Patreon as well on the sh- in the show notes. We should do that. Do you like the? Um, you guys should get a sponsor. Speaking of free headphones, you get a sponsor from Patreon Tequila. Oh no, you're not. You're, you guys are <laughs> Patreon. You guys are Patreon. Yeah, you guys are Patreon. Okay, never mind. Scratch that. But Edit. I mean, Edit. it is the same. Concept. I mean, it's the same origin. If someone who's contributing to your Patreon is a patron or That's a patron, right. and patron, want, yeah. and patron is your, you become extremely drunk. Patron of <laughs> it's the great arts. tequila, though. It is really good. Yeah. Right. Do you get what what uh, color or uh, what 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 do you call the different? You know, well, the, 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 yeah, that? that's right. The uh, so gold, gold or gold or white. Oh, okay. I like the coffee one. The cafe. Coffee, tequila? Cafe. Yeah, have you not had it? Patreon coffee, it's so good. I don't it's know. It's really good. No, 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 it's no. No, okay, it's really fine. good. Okay, fine. I'll get it. So, I'll try do you know, do you know that, that, 
But the, the blue <laughs> drink it, drink is, it. Is, is it called? You say agave? Is that right? Oh yeah, yeah. that's the plant. So the blue the blue agave plant is 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 now um, threatened with extinction. So tequila prices are going up and up and up. They're now it's now more the most expensive alcoholic beverage in the world. I did not know that. Did you not know? Did not. So there, so we, I went to I went to a, a stag do in Melbourne, and I walked up to so in Australia, and I went into the bar. Went to there's ten of us. Oh, I said, bachelor's party. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. And I and I said to the bartender, I'll have ten of your finest tequilas, please. Just joking. And he went, uh, that'll be seven hundred and eighty dollars, mate. And I went, no, no, no. I said ten of your finest tequilas. He went, yeah, that'll be seven hundred and eighty dollars, mate. And I went, no, no, no. I want ten tequilas. He went. That will be 700. And I was like, in what world are you living in? And he showed me the menu. And the most expensive tequila on the menu was $78 per shot. Uh, and I went, I went, what cost? And he, and he went, you want to see it? And I went, yeah. And he got a ladder out and he climbed above, above the bar and above the whiskeys and brought a box out, opened the box up. And there was a, like a, a, you know, like a velvet thing that he and he brought it down and they make 6,000 of them a year. It's a specially made tequila. Uh-huh. He said, it's the best tequila in the world. You have to order them 10 years in advance. Jesus. And so I said, well, we'll have one of those <laughs> and nine the half decent to give eighteen hundreds. Yeah, so I'll and, have one of those and diet Pepsi. Yeah, yeah so, <laughs> a shooter. I just want some lemonade with it. Can I have so, an okay, so this yeah. is a true story though. So we got the tequila. He he puts in a brandy glass, a warm brandy glass, and then we gave. I gave it to the the uh, the stagger, the, the the groom Jeff, who tasted. And we had a little sip of it, and it was amazing. It's really? like peppery and honey. So that was that was kind of ha 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 big laugh. Uh, about two years later, I was in Edinburgh in a tequila bar called the Basement, which some guys I know worked there, and there was a bottle of it in a case lit from the bottom so it's lit up with, like a, with a lock on it and I went I know that that's the, the such and such and such and the guy went how did you know that so well, I told him the story so I have one right it's 78 pounds in Britain I have one just enjoy like having just tasting this tequila and should taste, let some friends taste it I went back the next year and the, the bottle was gone I was like hey what what happened to the bottle? He goes, well, you know. I said, no, like you had a whole bottle of tequila. He went, well, the Scottish rugby team came in. I was like, oh no. Went, yeah. And they were doing it with like, like tonic and shooting. Oh it. Jesus. And, uh, and, and, and we were all, all the guys who were in the tequila bar, are huge tequila fans. They're all going, you don't do it like that. And go, no, it doesn't matter. And they did the whole bottle in one go. And it takes in 10 years to get another one. But I mean, so, they did get paid for it. You they, know, it's not like it's <laughs> they did, like, but it's yeah, sad. Like, but, you, you yeah, but if someone buying your painting and then setting it on yeah, fire, but if you, if, you, if, if someone put all that work into making this gorgeous thing, and then someone comes in like wipes their ass on it, it's like yeah, you're right. It yeah. is like someone buy, if so, someone buys your painting, they they Pays are entitled to. Yeah. Set it on oh, fire, but well, you would be very uh, upset if they did that. If they did it in front of you, you'd be like, "Going, oh, no, that guy, you don't add it, like yeah. lemonade to this tequila." Yeah, there's no need to do it. That's the thing. There's no need. You, would, you, 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 add, lemon, you add lemonade to, to yeah. crap tequila, so it's drinkable. Yeah, you don't need to do it this tequila. Anyway, I don't know why I told you that story. No, well, I like. Do, it. You, edit the, do you, know what you, edit, you edit the show. <laughs> we take out tequila stories. I forget. Is it sponsored tequila? I forget the name of it, but it's like a family name. Casamigos. It's like Cortez, Cortado, that's sorry. Is that racist? Me doing uh, no, Latino. Let's see if we can find it. Uh, well, most expensive tequila. Yeah. I'm sure there's there's yeah. And the, and the, it's one of those bottles where they've got like a handwritten the number like right. number 452 of six thousand. And there's probably you know a few extra ones they put to, put aside for themselves. Yeah, I'm sure if they're making it, yeah, they got to keep it scarce. But then also, is it yeah, they that Don Julio Real? Yeah, I don't know. No, I think that. No, I don't think so. That one doesn't look like it's as expensive. Is that? It's not oh, that's yet. Put, so go on there. Five most expensive bottles of tequila. And it'll, on AOL.com. It'll, 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 it'll it's def- probably been updated. Uh, the Delhi Biff be there. No, it's number one. Um, 
Dos Lunas Grand Reserve. The bottle costs twenty five hundred. Yeah, there. Well, there's one. The most expensive killing in the list of range. Oh. Yeah, something like that. Oh, that's three that's million. Three point five million. That wasn't that. It's be this one here. Two, the bottle costs two. The bottle costs two thousand. It must be that one. Because if you're not, I don't. If it was three million dollars, yeah, yeah. dollars would be. A it would be in bargain. a museum. Yeah, yeah. A bargain. Or possibly Barrique de Ponciano Porfirio. Mm, yeah, I'd say it's this one. Does it? I think at the bottles because I remember the bottle. It's like so a square, a squarish bottle with uh, with uh, wires across it. Oh, and this it, is it, it, com- it comes in a case, and it comes in a case like that. Mm, yeah, so that, that's it. That's the one. That's the one. Totally but that's honest. a new. That's a new bottle, though. That's They've a changed new... their design. Those fuckers. But that's yeah, yeah, kind of square bottle. That's the one. Cool. Pretty, pretty incredible, right? Yeah. So, uh, listeners in Australia, when we come out there in February, <laughs> I know some of you own <laughs> bars. Is it, is it, is it this one that looks like this? Uh, yeah. How much is that one? Yeah. That's the one with the with this. That's the one. That's the very one there. What's is that, that one? Hole in the middle of the bottle. Because that, yeah. that, that's what they had in Scotland. That's why I recognize it. The the decoration on the outside of the bottle. Uh, What's it called? Oh, that's just Jose Cuevo, but it's the eighteen hundred collection. Oh no, I like eighteen hundred, but that's not. That no, it, was, that it wasn't that one. Right? That, that's that one there. That one there. That's oh. square, square like that. But I thought it had an. Dos Lunas. I thought it had something oh, on yeah, the outside. Dos Lunas. Okay. Dos Lunas Grand Reserve. Hmm. That sounds like look at that one. Like the one. What's the one below that though? Twenty five thousand. Yeah, so that's twenty five thousand. That's sorry, that's twenty five hundred a bottle. Really? I, I thought it was. A... This one is two hundred twenty five thousand a bottle. Jesus. Oh, but they're, this they're... is a fucking cheat. I hate it when they do this. Okay, the bottle is platinum and gold. Oh, well, so that's just like that's one of those ones. <laughs> this is yeah. the most expensive tequila <laughs> in the world. Oh, by the way, you because put... it's strapped to the International <laughs> Space Station. <Yeah>. It's like <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's it's actually it, just made with water and tequila flavor. Yeah, <laughs> it comes with Prince Harry. That's yeah, right, 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 exactly. Right. Served to you by by the. It's just well, if you've ever had those Lord of the Rings tequila. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, shoot us a tweet at Probably Science. Let us know if you've had Dos Lunas and if you can hook us up with it when we come to Australia, which we are which still... we're definitely happy. It's happening. Yes. It's You're happening. We're sorting out the details. December, no matter I'm going to be there in December. I'm going to do a couple of shows out there. Uh, the details are being sorted out, but I'm going to be. Um, December 8th, I'm going to be at the Rhino Room in Adelaide. Brilliant. Great club. Which is, I have... I've F- never, fantastic club. I, I, I've yeah. known uh, our friend, our fellow friend Craig Egan, who oh, runs yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I, he was like, oh, welcome. It's, he's, yeah, he was saying to me, it's a... Uh, he was like, ah, oh, it's a different room from the one you played years ago. And I was like, I've never been to Adelaide in my life. You've just hung out with me in Edinburgh many times. Yeah, We've, right. He thought you were there. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And I'm going to do a couple of shows around Sydney and Melbourne as well, I think. Nice. I love Melbourne. It's. I think of. It's, but I don't want to get in a fight with Australians. But Melbourne, Melbourne's just a little bit. Uh, yeah, I just like Melbourne. Uh, <laughs> it's a little bit. What? That's well, not no, because I, I don't want to. Dis, I don't disparage other. All Australian cities are nice. Are you saying it's so Melbourne's more than my the, style? Okay. Let's say Melbourne's more my style. Okay, more my style. You don't. Have to, it doesn't mean you don't like the rest of the cities. You're just saying no, you no. do like that city. I like the city. Yeah. Uh, hey, well, while we are playing one thing off against each other, a few people sent this in as well. There is a current scientific battle going on for the new. Banknote, the new fifty-pound banknote oh, in yeah, Britain. Oh yeah, this is cool. Oh yeah. Uh, who was it who sent this in? More than one person did, but Robbie, Robbie Thompson. Thompson. Robbie Thompson is yeah. one of them. Robbie Thompson is one who sent in this version of the story. Citizens of the United Kingdom will soon be taking science to the bank. The Bank of England announced today at the Science Museum in London that the new fifty-pound note will feature a prominent British scientist. Over the next six weeks, members of the public can nominate any scientist, mathematician, engineer, or technologist, uh, such as early computer scientist Ada Lovelace, who illustrates this story through a form on the Bank of England's website. The only stipulation is that the individual must be deceased and not fictional. 
So <laughs> the so, governor of the bank had to actually specifically say, don't vote for Doctor Who. Or, or yeah, or, or Banky McBank, no. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> exactly what's going to happen. That really um, would be great, though. It has to be a real, genuine, and no longer with us scientist. It's part of the bank's ongoing switch from paper to polymer notes, which are more durable and harder to counterfeit. <laughs> are you guys still and, using and, and a female? Tool? Yeah. It has to be a female scientist. Does it have to be female? I don't think it does. Mm, it probably should, though, right? I think they... Uh, Ada Lovelace. I, great, I think great Alan friend. Turing was being mentioned as a possible that person. That seems like a layup to have him, right? I don't know. Like, especially because of how he was fucked over by the government and to have them be like, not only do we posthumously forgive your gayness, we're also going to put you on a, yeah. a bill. Yeah. Uh, that was one of the yeah. first stories we did. I think that was on the very first episode. I think was, it might have been. It was, was certainly within the first Britain month. Retroactively pardoning him for being gay. Wow. Yeah, but at the time, I don't think I don't know what the deal is now legally. But at the time, they were going to just pardon him and not pardon the other and oh, apologize really? to the other That's tens of thousands of people who got persecuted. That's um, which includes who Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde is certainly one of them, and and also. Apologize to the even more people who weren't prosecuted but did have to live their life in a shit away because it was under the specter of that law. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it can, yeah, it can be anyone. It doesn't mention gender. It can be anyone who worked in any field of science, including astronomy, biology, biotechnology, chemistry, engineering, mathematics, medical research, physics, technology, or zoology. The shortlist will be drawn up by a committee, including four experts in the field, and a final decision will be made by. Uh, Mark Carney, who's the governor of the Bank of England, with a note entering circulation at a date yet to be announced. Well, my vote would be uh, Logie Baird. So, yeah. Invented TV. Oh, yeah. Who's that? Logie Baird invented uh, color television. This is not just a variant of Yogi Bear, you're saying? No, no, Logie Bear. Oh, Yogi Bear. He, no, he, he, yeah. he was the first person to put. Well, he invented, I think he invented the television, but didn't miss the mark on the. On the patent, but then he and then color TV, if I believe, if I remember correctly. Yeah, one of he's the inventors Scot- of, Scotsman. of the mechanical television, which I haven't heard as a distinction of television. Yeah. So Stephen Hawking is a front runner. I think that's a bit. He's only just died. He's not a. I, yeah. I think and it has to be more. He's a very recognizable scientist, but I don't think he. He didn't change the world of science in as big a way as some of these other names that are being mentioned. If you do the, if you do the notes properly, you know people fold the notes to make different pick different pictures the faces you could probably oh, do it. yeah do a Stephen Hawking anyway you could make it into that whatever it ends yeah. up being um, hey one of the people being mentioned is possibly Rosalind Franklin she's in the running oh, right. cool back to earlier in this episode Ada Lovelace I'm, being I'm, mentioned I'm looking at just I just googled British scientists just to see uh, Brian Cox he's Brian not Cox dead. yeah yeah no this isn't I'm actually people, people are going come on Brian I'm just trying to think of who, who else I would think would be. Uh, oh, Edmund Halley, if that's not already been... Is that too old now, if you go back to that? Yeah, oh, Halley, yeah, Halley would yeah. be a good one. I mean, Newton, it's just a matter of whether you want to go Newton, I think, far. has already been on a bank, a British oh, okay. banknote. Oh, they are, how, many, how often do they change out who's on... I don't know. Darwin's been on a banknote. Oh, okay. Um, In Scotland, they put animals on, like otters. Oh. <laughs> do they vote on the you animals? Probably, you probably covered all this, but you know the national animal of Scotland. Is it the otter? No. Uh, beaver? No. I, do you know, do you know a what? Quokka? I did know this. Okay. Hang on. Wolverine? Nope. Opossum? It's no. So, no, it's something small, isn't it? Quoll. Keep going. Do you want to tell you? Go on. No, did you, did, one, more, one more guess. Oh, uh, wait, 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 wait. wait. Um, is, it a, is it a marsupial? Uh, no, we don't have, no, they don't have marsupials in Scotland. Oh, really? No. Um, it's only, I think it's only Australia that has yeah. marsupials. No, America. The national, oh, the national animal of Scotland? Oh, okay, like, yeah. Little critters that are... Is... The unicorn. 
Oh, <laughs> I kid you not. That's right. I heard that. I like it. Yeah, it's not bad because I think Scottish people might actually believe in it. <laughs> so, uh. so there were there were also two petitions. Uh, there was a petition to have Margaret Thatcher on the fifty pound note, and another petition to have her not be on the fifty pound note. Yeah, I just she just came up in that list when I just googled British scientists. Was she? So she, she have a science background. She she was yeah she studied the chemistry at university. Oh, okay, and there's a sort of urban legend that she was responsible for soft serve ice cream but i think she was part of she worked for the company that had something to do with the creation of soft serve ice cream but it was like margaret thatcher invented ice invented mr whippy uh i don't know that brand but i can imagine it's a soft that's the that's like the brand and the pink berry of uh mr whippy is the one you drive around in trucks and yeah can trucks with soft ice, ice cream ice cream vans I don't think that's a thing they ever do with ice cream vans in the U.S. Do they not? Are ice cream vans in the U.S. always like pre-made Popsicle kind of things? Yeah. Oh, in Britain, I, I it's very much. It's the ninety-nine flake. It's like it's it's a soft serve ice cream in a in a cone in a cone a waver cone. Yeah, with a flake with a chocolate flake in the side. Yeah. Was that a relatively recent addition to like when you were a kid? They had that or not? Oh, yeah. way before when I was a kid. Really? Yeah, it goes huh. way back. It's, it I think it's like called the expensive. I think it's called the ninety-nine because it goes back to eighteen ninety-nine. <laughs> no, I'm serious. At the at the World Fair. Really? Hang on, I'm no, looking I'm this up. I'm, and you're okay. making that up. Well, you know what? I would have bought it. <laughs> but I'm, but it's, I'm it sounds good. There's a reason for it being called 99. Someone told me why I it's called... I thought it just used to be 99p. No, someone told me... Oh, that's probably what it is. No, someone told me... No, no, it wouldn't be 99p in the 50s. That'd be way too expensive. I'd say you buy a house with that. <laughs> <laughs> just hand over a, an ice cream. I'd love the house. Uh, that's 19, and 1899. It's, it was part of the World Fair. Okay, why... I doubt there was an 1899 World Fair. Why? Because wait, the world fairs go way back. Okay, the name, the origin of the name is uncertain. One claim it was coined in Portobello, Scotland, where Stefano Arcari, who'd opened a shop in 1922 at 99 Portobello High Street, would break a large flake in half and stick it in ice cream. Mm. The name came from the shop's address. Another possibility that it was named by immigrant ice cream Italians, uh, Italian ice cream sellers, many of whom were from the mountainous areas in Veneto, especially in the Tramp. In the uh, Belun Alps, Trentino Frulli, the name was in honor of the final wave of Italian First World War conscripts born in ni- 1899 and referred to as I Ragazzi del 99, the Boys of 99. Right. They were held in such high esteem that some streets were named in honor of them. The chocolate flake may have reminded the ice cream sellers of the long, dark feather cocked at an angle in the conscripts' hats. It also might have been another place that was at 99 Wellington Street. That's gelato trivia. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I had to wait till you finished that before I said So you had that loaded for about... <laughs> I just go, no, hurry up. So I can... it's, <laughs> it's gone now. The moment was gone, Matt. <laughs> so I'm like so gelato. sorry. I, no, no, no. Andy's rolling his eyes. I'm no, I'm not at all. No, I feel no. like I've ruined your there is... I was going to apologize to you for saying there were no... Patreon. Fair in 1899, because there were. The, the website, the Cabaret's website also references an article from an old Cabaret's work paper, which states that the name came from the guard of the Italian king which consisted of 99 men, and thus anything really special or first class was known as 99. Mm. Wow. There you go. Oh, there's also, there's 99 red balloons. Yes, that's the, what the, it was actually named the, after. The left balloons. That's what the... originally I had an ice cream with 99 red balloons. But that was one balloon for every conscript, Italian conscript. To the, uh, <laughs> that was their uniform. First World War. So when they knew where they were, they were really bad at tracking them down, so they had to... Tie bu- balloons too? They could see, they could see them over, over ridges and stuff. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's... 
That's how they did it. I'm pretty sure that's science fact. <laughs> that's how, that's well, how when, used when to was it. the first world uh, um, well, world the, exhibition? I thought it'd be a simple thing to look up, but it's it turns out the history of world's fairs and world's expositions is is long and complicated. Uh-oh. I thought for some reason 1892 was the first one, and that was the um, was Chicago, the one that was for, the 400th anniversary of Columbus, mm. hence Columbian exposition um, in Chicago, the one where. Um, it's the book about the murderer. They're making it into a movie, Devil in the White City. Do you not know? Uh, no idea. But there were ones before that, and obviously ones after that. Um, I don't want to bother. I don't want to just read Wikipedia on this. Yeah, go okay. go look okay. up World's yeah. Fairs yourselves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not <laughs> you, but listeners. Us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, listeners, stop, stop trusting us, relying us. on us to tell you about fairs. <laughs> Lazy listeners. <laughs> Uh, Go and find your own fair facts. Exactly. Yep. Fair facts. Very funny. <laughs> hey, Phil. Yes. We man. should wrap this up, but where wow. can our where can our listeners find you oh, and everything you do, which goodness. is you I'm, do a lot of different things. I'm going to get hate mail now. I'm at uh, philnickel.com. That's uh, I'm um, I'm on a tour, a national tour in the UK and Ireland uh, that uh, ends at the Soho Theatre, November 27th to December 1st. Uh, I've got two dates in Winchester and Norwich Playhouse before that and the Winchester Discovery Centre. I don't know the exact dates, but it's this uh, Friday and Saturday before that. I've seen this show and it's great. I saw it in Edinburgh and I'm going to see it tonight in LA. But I Oh, where is it tonight? It's on at the Lyric Hyperion. Oh, excellent. So tonight and tomorrow, next three days in LA. Yes. But yeah, it's a great show. You should get along and see Phil on tour because he's much. a fantastic comic. All playing, I'm also doing international dates. Uh, Amsterdam, Paris, uh, Southeast Asia, Switzerland, uh, the Eastern Europe, um, Estonia, and a month in New Zealand, if you've got any Damn. listeners in New nice. Zealand. Nice. I'm, I'm at Auckland and Wellington in the month of May. We definitely have New Zealand listeners. So, And I don't know whether we have Estonian listeners. We've probably, we probably got one. Okay, at least yeah. a couple, yeah. Right. So, yeah, go along and see Phil in Estonia. And also... <laughs> no! Estonian no. dog. <laughs> no Elvis Costello. Spot, I told you to get out. <laughs> uh, it's an hour to an hour and a half of those sounds. <laughs> <laughs> And it'll make you never want to strangle a dog again. <laughs> it'll make you very sad. And on the way out, you get a free 99. Um, that, that's the talk. That's your wrong, that show. It's and also, hero. you can still, uh, they're still doing cinema screenings of Jamie, right? They are. They're doing, everybody's talking about Jamie. It was a musical I was in, uh, played in the West End of London. And it's, uh, uh, they streamed it into cinemas and is now playing throughout the world. If you go to Jamie in cinemas, uh, you, you, you can put your name of your city in and it will tell you the closest place to your city. It's been playing in Belarus. It's been playing in India. It's playing all over Southeast Asia. It's playing everywhere but Russia. <laughs> and Texas. <laughs> yes. This is a musical we should point out about a gay kid. <laughs> exactly. A musical about a boy who wears a dress to the prom. Right. Yeah. Uh, nice. And uh, it's based on a true story, not my story. But yeah. uh, <clears throat> so that's. And, but, and then I'm also, uh, if anyone in London is listening, uh, I've started a, a new material night uh, every Tuesday at the Tap Comedy on Upper Street. It's called The Delivery Room, and I present it with Russell Hicks, who's a fantastic American comedian, and the wonderful Sarah Callahan. And that's every Tuesday, and we have top name headliners and uh, professionals delivering, uh, the, giving birth to their new jokes, and it's kind of a fun show. Cool. Uh, so Sweet. I'm going to hit you up about doing that when I'm back in London over Christmas. Please do. Come and headline it. That'd be sweet. Uh, Phil, oh, Andy, what do you got to plug? I've got nothing until December 5th, which is the next Guilty Treasure happening at Hotel Cafe. We'll go to that. I'm going to be doing, I don't know if I'm doing any shows in Denver itself, but I'm going to be playing Boulder on the the, probably the Sunday that this, actually, no, I would have already played it by the time you listened to that. So sorry, Boulder people. 
But um, I'm going to be doing some spots in Australia. So I'll tweet them all out when I have the exact dates because I don't know the specifics yet. But I know I'm going to be doing the Manly Boathouse, uh, which is just across the harbour from Sydney. And some other little shows around Sydney and something in Melbourne, probably. And the Rhino Room in Adelaide. Go to that. Sweet. See me on the 8th. That's, that one's the definite one. Don't fuck up, Adelaide. Is it the city that the, someone has given shit for for not coming out in the numbers they were hoping? I think they come out for stand-up, but apparently less so for live podcasts. But I know we have... I know we have podcast listeners in Adelaide. We've had emails from Adelaide people. We're like, so, hey, don't shit on us. So, we didn't even know we were supposed to shit on them until they said, don't shit on us. And then, <laughs> that's exactly what it was. Someone yeah. emailed us saying, like, just, you know, we, we do like podcasts, despite so, what other podcasts I, I have said. And that was us was finding out. Yeah. Oh, we didn't know that was a thing. But apparently it is. Maybe. Who knows? Okay. Prove us wrong. Yeah. But I'll hopefully see you for my stand-up set there. And we're going to be out there, I think, first doing a live podcast, hopefully, in February. February you can find us uh, at... Probably Science on Twitter, probablyscience.com, Facebook slash Probably Science. You can find us individually on Twitter at Andy T. Wood and at Matt Kirshen. Mm-hmm. And also you're uh, on Twitter, Phil. At Phil Nickel. Just and at I'm f- on Instagram, Philbo2000. Oh, that's you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can you tell? No, I, I, I. It's always pictures, it's only shot pictures of me standing from the waist down. Oh, I just I just never knew you were so good. I know that's, I thought that's just One like some greats. professional stander. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? Check it out. You can uh, follow us, find us, you can donate to us now, both through the PayPal link on probablyscience.com and through our Patreon link Patreon, as well. Patreon. Patreon.com slash probablyscience. And we link to that yeah. over on probablyscience.com as well. So you can find everything from everything, pretty much. Sponsored by Patreon. Yeah, send us questions, comments, clarifications, stories you would like us to cover. And then probablyscience at gmail.com as well. You can yeah, us. And you can also comment on our posts on Patreon to suggest uh, follow-up questions from past guests. So... Do that. Thank you, Phil, for joining us. Thanks. It's great for having, having you in town. Thank you. Well, listeners, we will see you soon. Yeah.